I'd also add that it's our privilege to give every first day of the week. So worship is an integral part in the life of a Christian, isn't it? Today as we talk about bowing in worship to God, I want to begin by first of all just maybe making a notation or two. The word worship literally means to kiss towards. And so when the psalmist in chapter 95 at verse 6 said, Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. That really sets the tone for what worship is all about. Bowing in the presence of Jehovah God to honor Him as our Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer. So with that in mind, I want to begin by first of all talking about our preparation for worship. Preparation for worship to God. Every first day of the week, as I mentioned a moment ago, we have the privilege of coming into the presence of Almighty God. And so we have to make preparation to come before the Lord, to stand in His presence. Have you ever thought that when you come together on the first day of the week, that you are literally on holy ground? I'm not saying that this building is intrinsically holy. It's just a building. We could meet at any number of venues. But we are in the presence of God. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. And you remember he was at Mount Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. I believe the angel of the Lord was the second member of the Godhead, the Christ, the Word. And the Bible tells us that on that occasion, the second member of the Godhead said to Moses in the long ago, Remove your sandals, for the ground whereon you stand is holy ground. What was it that made that ground holy? I believe it was the appearance of the Godhead, the appearance of the second member of the Godhead, the Christ. So he was in the presence of God. When we come together on the first day of the week, we are in God's presence to remember that we are here to praise the God who created us, the God who sustains us on a daily basis. And the God who redeems us. When do you begin making preparation to come to worship? Do you prepare your mind before you come here on Sunday morning? Do you pause before you come to worship? Maybe when you initially get out of bed. Read a passage of Scripture. Pray to God and try to get your mind right and ready to enter into a period of worship, to literally bow in His presence, to give Him the homage that He is rightfully due. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said that in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And he said He was high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. 
And above it stood the seraphim. The seraphim were angelic creatures, angelic beings. And Isaiah said that one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In John chapter 12, John points out that Isaiah saw on that occasion the second member of the Godhead, the Christ. So here was Isaiah in the presence of deity. So when we come together on the first day of the week, we're on holy ground because we are in the presence of Almighty God. The God who is, the God who was, and that's the one that we're here to worship. And we're here to do that respectfully, and we're here to do that and to give Him worship from the very depths of our heart. So, preparing to be in the presence of God, but then also preparing to praise God. I want you to listen again. Look at Psalm 95 again. And note what the psalmist said. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. When we come to worship God on the first day of the week, does joy fill our hearts? Are we grateful to be in the presence of God and to lift up His name? He mentions the rock of our salvation. I said a minute ago that we are in the presence of our Redeemer, the God who put a plan in place before He ever framed the world or created man so that we might enjoy communion with Him, fellowship. He said, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. The first day of the week affords us the opportunity to corporately thank God for all of His blessings. Wasn't it Paul who said in Acts chapter 17 that God is the giver of all life, breath, and all things? It's in Him that we live and move and have our very being. Everything that we have in life we owe to whom? To God. So we come before His presence with thanksgiving. He said, let us... Shout joyfully to Him with psalms. I wonder how many of the psalms were sung by God's saints in days gone by. And then in verse 3, He said, The Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. The sovereignty of God, the superiority and, prim and preeminence of Almighty God. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is, it, is His, for He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Again, acknowledging the fact that God is the Creator. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Now look at verse 7. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand, or the sheep under His care. We live under the providential blessings of Almighty God, under His protective hand. Wasn't it the Hebrew writer who said many years ago, on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, what can man do to me? That's the God we're serving. So number one, 
preparation, preparing ourselves to come before Almighty God. But then there's a second thought. It has to do with regulation. The regulation of our worship to God. And this really brings us to an important part in our study. Because we're talking now about the authority for worshiping God. To understand that God has not left it to the whims of man to decide how or when He will worship. But God has given us a pattern to follow. Do you remember, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when the Apostle Paul said, But if I tarry long, that you might know how to behave yourself in the house of God, the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. Paul there saying to Timothy in the long ago, and Timothy was his son in the faith, and Paul said, Look, I'm writing these things so that you might, as a member of the body of Christ, know how to behave yourself in God's house. So you go back and you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul begins that chapter by encouraging prayers and supplications on behalf of those who are in authoritative positions. He said, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The word men, as used by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, designates humankind, male and female. But you remember down in verse 8, Paul now talking about worship. And so he said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. The word for men there is not the same term used back in verse 4. But rather, it denotes specifically a male. So what God is saying is that those who are to serve publicly in worship to God are males. It's not about ability. It's not about, it's not about what I think or what I want, but rather it's what the Bible says. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And God the Father said when Jesus the Son was transfigured on the mountaintop in the presence of Peter, James, and John, and you recall Moses and Elijah appeared on the scene and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then God the Father said, Hear Him. So God is saying that whatever the Son says, we need to listen to, Right? I think that's the point. And so when we talk about worship to God, we worship God according to His authoritative Word. In Colossians 3, verse 17, Paul said, Whatever you do in word or deed, listen to him, do all in the name. To do something in the name of means to do it by the authority of. So by whose authority are we to do things? Well, Paul said, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our worship would fall under 
his authority, wouldn't it? Nowhere in Scripture. You can go back and look at the period of the patriarchs, the Mosaic dispensation, all the way up to the Christian era. Nowhere has God ever given man the latitude to decide how he or she will worship him. As a matter of fact, you go back and look at the Old Testament and you find that God was very serious about worship and about doing things according to the prescribed way. Brother Billy mentioned in our class today, Isaiah. And you remember he took hold of the Ark of the Covenant when, it's, when the Ark or when the ark was shaken, it was being transported on an ark, or rather on a cart. God had already declared how they were to transport the ark of the covenant. And yet, Uzziah was put to death. Nadab and Abihu, again, put to death because they offered God strange fire. I had a friend say not long ago, when you go back and look at the Old Testament accounts, Whenever you read of God putting someone to death, you need to, take, you need to take and note that, pay very special attention because God's trying to get our attention about something. So what about our authority in worship? Well, we want to do it according to what the Bible has to say. But then what about the acts of worship? The acts of worship ought to be something that we engage in with a Joyful heart. For example, I said a minute ago that we're in the presence of Almighty God. In a few minutes, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper prior to dying on Calvary, didn't He? And the focal point of the Lord's Supper is to bring to memory the death of Jesus on Calvary. To understand that Jesus paid the ultimate price for my sins. As Peter said, He bore my sins in His body on the cross. That has to do with the vicarious suffering and death of God's only begotten Son. Paul said, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Every first day of the week when we partake, of the bread. There ought to be this sense of renewal and appreciation for what God through Christ has done for us. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He has reconciled us to God. We're in fellowship with God. When you go back to Calvary and see Jesus hanging between two thieves, you could rightfully picture yourself on the cross. Because Jesus died for you. He died for me. Paul said He died for our sins. And then His blood, the blood that was shed. Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Where would we be without the blood of Jesus? Wasn't it the Hebrew writer who said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood there's no remission? And you remember under the Old Covenant all of the animal sacrifices and yet the Hebrew writer said it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. When Moses and Elijah appeared on the mountaintop in the presence of Jesus as He was transfigured, 
do you think they had a viable interest in the work of Christ? Do you think that they were looking at the Messiah with hope, anticipation of what Jesus would accomplish on Calvary? Well, why do you ask that question? Because it would be through the sacrificial blood of Jesus on Calvary that their sins would be washed away, that the sins of humanity would be dealt with. Listen, John the Baptist had it right when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That's the one that we come together on the first day of the week to remember. And then when we engage in singing, are we genuinely and joyfully lifting our voices in praise to God in thanksgiving for the fact that He has created us and that He has sustained us? And yes, that He's redeemed us. When we join in singing, we do so from the heart. As Paul said, we sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord. The instrument that is to be plucked or played is not mechanical, but rather it's the human heart. That has to do with the authority of Christ. And so we are lifting our voices in unison, in rhythmic melody to Almighty God. And we do so in light of what He has done for us. And again, you think about coming into the presence of God, the preparation that's required to stand in the presence of God, to praise God, and to do so with the right kind of heart, the right kind of attitude. You know, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it was said of the ancient church that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. You can make the case that in that one verse you have the acts of worship. The apostles' doctrine, that would be teaching. Fellowship carries with it the idea of a contribution, monetarily speaking. The breaking of bread would have to do with the Lord's Supper. Prayers would simply point to the fact that when we come together, we have the opportunity to pray to Almighty God. So there is this divine pattern. And we are, again, in God's presence to observe those acts of worship. There's a third thing I want to share with you. The third thing I think that we see in our worship to God has to do with our participation. Our participation in worship to Almighty God. You can't worship by proxy. But rather, the design of the New Testament is for every single member of the body of Christ to join in worship. Well, what's the point of worship? Number one, it's adoration. We are here to praise Jehovah God. He is the aim, the object of our worship, isn't He? 
Wasn't it Jesus who said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve? Do you remember the living creatures in Revelation chapter 4? You have a picture of the throne room of God. And those living creatures are observing the Father on the throne. And they're worshiping Him day and night, ceaselessly. They're worshiping the Creator. And they cried out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He went on to point out that those living creatures before God's throne are saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For You created all things. All things exist and were created by You. That's a picture of heaven, isn't it? And it is a picture of the ongoing worship of the One who is sitting upon His throne. As Isaiah said, He is high and lifted up. We are here to focus our hearts, focus our minds on Jehovah God. It's not about me. It's not about somebody else, but rather it's about being in the presence of God and giving Him what He is rightfully due. Some have defined worship as acts of reverence paid to deity. I'm here to magnify the name of God, to give Him the adoration that He is due during the period of worship. Now, look again at Psalm 95. When we talk about adoration, and you begin to read through Psalm 95, is it not the case that the psalmist here has in mind the adoration that Jehovah God is due from His creation? Look at the vast difference between the Creator and His creation. Listen again to what He said, O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In His hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. Note the personal exclamation here of the psalmist. We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. And then drop down and note, if you would, again. He is our God. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep who are under His care. Every first day of the week, we ought to be reminded of the fact that we are living under the benevolent hand of a loving and generous God. Everything that I am as a human being, I owe to God. Everything that I am as a part of creation, I owe to God. James said every good gift, every perfect gift 
comes down from above. It's easy to get caught up in life and to get so consumed with what's going on around us that we forget about that spiritual, that spiritual dimension. It ought to be the case that as children of God, our lives are so focused upon Him that the whole sphere of our existence revolves around Him. It's not just a part of my life. It's not a piece of my life. He is my life. He is to be my life. Isn't that what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 4? When he said, when Christ who is our life. Listen, when Christ becomes your life, when He is the sum total of everything that you stand for, you will be grateful to come into the presence of Almighty God every single first day of the week. You will be grateful to worship God in private devotion on a daily basis. Why? Because He made you. He made you for His glory. And you are to live to glorify Him. The church exists for that very purpose. So participation in the adoration of God, and then there is edification. And I know that the aim of worship is God. Jesus said, God is spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. I have to be involved in worship. I've got to have my attitude right when I come through these doors. And to realize that I'm here to worship deity. And so... When I come to worship, I come to give. Now, do I reap benefits of worship? Well, the answer would be yes. One of which is edification. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a man or some is, but exhorting one another day by day. When we come together, do we not draw strength by being with people who are like-minded. You know, Peter talks about those of us who are of like precious faith. We have the same goal, the same aspirations, the same desires. We're here because our citizenship is in heaven. We're moving in the direction of Canaan's land, aren't we? We realize that we are strangers, or as Peter would say, pilgrims upon earth. We're just passing through. We might live to be 70, 80, maybe 90 or 100 years of age. But the ultimate goal is to reach Canaan's land, heaven. And if we miss heaven, we miss everything. So in a world that beats us up, in a world that is dealing daily with disease and sickness and heartache and sorrow, in a world that deals with death on a daily basis. How can I renew my spirit? How can I, as a child of God, be revived? How can I be strengthened in the midst of turmoil? Let me tell you where the answer lies. Right here in worship to God. When we come here on the first day of the week, 
Maybe we've been battered from the world over the past few days. And maybe we feel as if we've been in a meat grinder. And the world has chewed us up only to spit us out. But we come here to renew our hope, don't we? Don't we come to be inspired, to serve God more faithfully, to deepen our faith in Him? I mean, think about it. We're in the presence of God. And we're here to pray, to sing. We are here to remember. We're here to learn, to be encouraged, to be reminded that this world is not our home. To understand that we are moving in the direction of heaven and that we have a place that has been reserved for us. It is incorruptible, it's undefiled, and Peter said it does not fade away and it is reserved for us in heaven. Paul, that old soldier of the cross, you remember he spent time in Troas so that he might break bread with the disciples there. In Acts 20, verse 7. And go back and look at the life of the Apostle Paul throughout his missionary endeavors. I mean, here was a guy that faced heartache, persecuted from city to city. Here was a guy that faced all kinds of adversity, demonstrated tremendous concern for the church. But I can just see that old soldier of the cross on the first day of the week being reminded that he was here to serve the Lord and that there was coming a day when he would not serve the Lord in this life, but that he would be with the Lord. You remember what he said in Philippians chapter 1? To live is Christ. That's what Paul's life was about, serving the Lord. But he said to die is gain. To remember that there's something far better that awaits us. Can we be inspired to greater heights of service? Yes. When Paul talked to the elders of the church from Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he closed by saying, I commend you to God, to the word of His grace, listen to Him, which is able to build you up. The world will try to break you down. The world will batter you. And the world will inflict pain on you. But when we come into the presence of God, we're here to worship and glorify God and to be built up, to be reminded that we're here for a purpose and that there is something greater that lies beyond this physical life. It's called eternity. We're homeward bound, aren't we? Don't you want to be in the presence of God one day? Life isn't perfect. But I can tell you this, there is a perfect place that's waiting on us. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The Lord is coming for His people one day. Imagine if you can all the people of all the people of God's family together again forevermore. What a day that'll be.
If you're here today and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? To understand that Jesus paid the price for sin. As the Hebrew writer said in chapter 2, verse 9, He tasted death for every man. That includes you and me. To understand that Jesus desires you to be saved. And the means by which you can become a saved person is the truth. To learn the truth. To develop faith. And then to respond with an obedient faith. To embrace the Lord. To confess His name. To be buried with Him in baptism. To rise to walk in newness of life. And then to be faithful. And one day to be honored to be in the court of Almighty God forevermore, crowned and owned by the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you're here and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, and you would like us to pray on your behalf, I promise you this, we'll do so, and we will do so gratefully to go to God on your behalf. Whatever struggles and trials and things that you're dealing with in life, we'd be happy to pray with you. If sin has been a problem in your life, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the God we serve. And you can leave here in a covenant relationship with Him once more. Won't you come as we stand and sing?